Welcome to another bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. A new kind of bonus episode. Today, we're going to look at one of our Ride Home Fund portfolio companies, Sensel. The idea with these episodes is that we will learn from innovative entrepreneurs and groundbreaking new companies, learning about new technologies right at their earliest stages, which is what sort of makes Sensel kind of an outlier to start off these episodes. When I started the Ride Home Fund, I never imagined that our first investment would be a hardware company and a company that's been around for the better part of a decade. We invested in Sensel's Series B round when every other investment thus far has been at the seed round or even earlier. We did so because Sensel was an opportunity we couldn't pass up. As you'll hear, touch technology as a key layer in computing interface and interaction is about to undergo a major generational leap forward, and Sensel is at the bleeding edge of this transformation. Not only is there a good chance that the next laptop you buy will have Sensel technology inside, but you'll hear how Sensel's tech could come to smartphones soon, to medical devices, to automobiles. In essence, Sensel's tech has the potential to radically transform how we interact with computers all across the real world, in real life, and even provide a key foundational layer as we build out the metaverse. Sensel reached out to us because they were listeners of this podcast, and I encourage any other startups out there who would like the power of the mutant podcast army behind you to get in touch with me directly at brian at ridehomefund.com. But also, if you're interested in learning more about Sensel as an investor, as a potential technology or business partner, as a potential employee, or merely as a user, again, email me and I'll get you in touch with them or contact Sensel directly. My thanks to all the folks at Sensel, especially Ilya Rosenberg and Christian Hernandez. Thank you for partnering with us. And I can't wait to see how this technology explodes. Thanks to Sensel's leadership in the years ahead. Ilya Rosenberg, thank you for coming on the Tech Meme Ride Home experience, a Tech Meme Ride Home bonus episode, the first of what hopefully will be several this year. But um, this is the first sort of uh, portfolio profile episode. Um, and Ilya, you're the CEO of what was the first investment for the Ride Home Fund. So also, it's fitting that you're the first uh, episode. Um, Ilya, you're the uh, one of the co-founders of Sensel. So just real quick, like in a two-minute sort of first question, uh, give me the, uh, a broad outline of uh, what Sensel is as a company and, and what technology you guys uh, do. Yeah, so um, uh, Brian, great to be uh, on this podcast. And... Um, at a high level, um, at Sensel, we want to empower uh, people in the way that they um, interact with their uh, electronic devices. Um, and we want to do that by building the best um, and most um, uh, powerful human-computer interfaces um, that really increase dramatically the bandwidth of the uh, interaction that you have with your devices. Um, both in terms of the touch input, um, including touch sensing and force sensing and other sensing modalities, as well as the output, uh, which includes haptic uh, feedback to the user. Um, and we want to do that because we really believe that, you know, the future that we want to have is not the WALL-E future where, you know, computers uh, do everything for you, but the future that we're excited about is the future where, 
Um, you know, we use computers as a tool and people are empowered to, um, you know, be more creative, be more expressive, have more fun, be more productive um, through their interactions with computers. And in order to do that, we need that interface to, you know, continue to improve. Your, um, your background, actually, we're going we're to talk about a lot about hardware, though. I know software uh, uh, interacting with this is a key component, but your your background is uh, as a software developer originally. Is that right? Um, yeah, that's correct. Um, I studied um, computer science and computer graphics, um, both in my undergraduate um, at uh, Princeton and my PhD at New York University. And um, I I got interested in um, computer graphics. Uh, it's kind of kind of funny how that happened. Um, as a kid, I loved lava lamps, and uh, I had a senior uh, project um, during my undergraduate where I tried to make a virtual lava lamp, um, basically simulating the physics of the particles and figuring out how to do the rendering. Um, and um, that's kind of how I got into computer uh, computer graphics and and kind of you know kind of I guess that was my first uh, first love in terms of. Um, the kind of research I was doing, um, uh, and that um, <clears throat> that led me into the video game industry. Um, mm. I actually um, I wrote a paper on the the techniques that I developed to do this essentially real time rendering of a lava lamp. Um, and um, is that uh, because? Sorry to interrupt. And sure. I uh, this might be something that I misheard or something, but I, I feel like I've heard before that to this day or at, at least until recently like in graphics like modeling things like you know water flowing in a stream or like gas diffusing is not necessarily easy to do am i right about that or did i mishear that yeah that's right um it's yeah it's one of the most challenging um areas in computer graphics because um you you know you have to do the physical simulation of of the fluid um um, you know, either like particle simulation or uh, voxel-based simulation, and the, the physics of that is quite complex. But then, um, you know, to do something that's you know fun, like a lava lamp, you, you also need to render that in real time and make it look really nice and realistic. Um, so it is it is challenging both from the simulation side and the rendering rendering side. And we were trying to do that in real time, um, so that that makes it even more complex. Whereas, you know, when you watch these effects in a Pixar movie, you know, they're often taking, you know, days and <laughs> months to render those effects. Um, but we were doing it, you know, in real time, um, you know, as you're running the simulation. So that that leads you to your first startup, um, a, a gaming startup, I guess? Um, yeah, that's right. Um, around the time that the first iPhone uh, came out, we decided to try to try to take some of that technology that I had developed. Um, and I also had a friend that was also really into um, like fluid simulation and gaming. Um, and we started a company um, to take that technology and, and turn that into iPhone games. So we actually built one of the first apps that was on the App Store. And it was uh, an app called iLava. And it was a, basically a virtual lava lamp for your iPhone. Um, and we built a bunch of other like physics-based, fluid-based games mm -hmm. for the iPhone. So, I'm. How does that lead into uh, <laughs> a touch hardware technology and stuff? Um, yeah. So, 
Um, I, um, someone at, at Valve Software saw some of these, you know, software demos that I was building um, and invited me to come do like an internship and a consulting gig at Valve. Um, so um, I spent um, about a year working with Valve and actually built some of our technology into the, the their engine, into the Steam engine. Um, and, uh, and, and so actually if you play portal two, there's a lot of puzzles that are based on, on liquids and, um, those games use the technology that I developed. It was, uh, an engine oh, wow. globulator is what we called it. Um, and, um, yeah. And then during kind of while I was working at valve and around that time, <clears throat> I started to come to the realization that. Um, you know, graphics was increasing and improving at an exponential rate, in both in terms of the hardware and the software. Um, but really, there was still this big bottleneck in terms of how we interact with our computers. Um, I was also like at the time trying to write, um, you know, try to trying to build some software you can do like virtual clay modeling, you know, using the same engine um, and other kind of experiences. And I realized like, wow, it's really you know, it's really hard to do any of this with a keyboard and mouse. Like, like the thing that's really missing is not the hardware and the soft, like not the, you know, the video graphics hardware and the soft video, in video graphical software. It's really the interfaces that are deficient to get to kind of the next level of experiences that I wanted to kind of to see happen. Um, that's kind of what, what got me into the hardware uh, side of things. And so that's uh, startup number two, I'm assuming, uh, which is TouchCo. Um, yeah, so funny enough, there was another startup in there, mm. uh, something I did parallel to Gotham Wave Games, which was um, Gotham Wave Games, my experience doing that, and this other startup led to TouchCo. Um, and this other startup, um, it's a whole other tangent, but uh, um, it was a company called Smartlines, and we were developing um, actually sensors that would get in embedded into tennis courts. Um, to detect if the tennis ball was in or out. Oh. Um, so that's kind of how I got exposed to the sensing hardware side of things. Um, uh, because for, for what we were doing there, we had this big challenge where we wanted to um, detect the impact of a tennis ball on the surface of the court, but also know, you know, is it in or out? So you need really high precision for that. Um, and also, you need to ignore something like a footstep. So if the player steps on the line, you don't want it to buzz or whatever. Um, and this was um, this was around the time of the um, of the uh, uh, the Serena Williams uh, controversy um, at the U.S. Open, um, where she had lost the game because of a bad line call, um, and the International Tennis Federation. Um, put out a uh, kind of a, a request for people to submit their ideas for how to, you know, how to fix line calling in tennis. Um, so we were one of the systems that um, uh, went after the ITF uh, certification. Um, and we, we essentially built out several of these tennis courts with sensors and it was system work that was awesome. Um, but the company, um, you know, we took some bad investments and kind of ran out of money um, and so this was around the same time I was doing Gotham wave games. So I was kind of trying to do two startups in parallel. Um, and I, and, and doing the stuff with valve. Um, and, uh, and then I had this idea like, Oh, could we just take 
some of this hardware that we were developing for SmartLine, some of the, you know, kind of the concepts and miniaturize it and build a sensor that you could have on your desk that could, you know, sense your touch, your pressure. Um, and so I kind of, kind of combined these two, uh, I guess, areas that I've been working in to one. And that was the start of TouchGo. Well, and it's so funny. I can, we're going to talk about the technology that, you know, is behind what Sensel does, but I can see how like, all that, I can see the linear progression there of like, you know, uh, sensitive sensing on a tennis court and, and keep being false positives out of it and things like that. And, and having actual like force touch and, and, and sensitive, uh, detection of force and stuff like that. So, um, let me, so then, um, that technology is miniaturized. That's what goes into, um, TouchCo, and then is TouchCo is is acquired by Amazon, and some of that stuff goes into uh, Kindle technology. Yeah, so um, at TouchCo, we um, kind of like you were mentioning, we took the technology, we miniaturized it, and we built this really high resolution, pressure sensitive touch technology. Um, and we were kind of, you know, we had a cool technology looking for an application. Um, so we were talking to a lot of different uh, companies about, you know, different ways we could apply it. Um, Amazon saw what we were doing. And at the time, they um, they had just released the first Kindle. Um, and they were looking for a way to add touch sensitivity to the Kindle. But they didn't want to put a touch sensor on top of the display because that would decrease the contrast and the brightness of it, um, especially for an e-ink reflective display. Um, if you put anything on top of it, it, it really kills the the look of that display because there's no backlighting um so the idea was to put a flexible e-ink display on top of one of our sensors so there's absolutely no optical impact um and build this like awesome you know kindle reader uh that looks beautiful but you have a touch sensor um and you have to remember like the early kindle readers they were very like steampunk they had like mechanical oh yeah changing the page and they had like mechanical keyboards and a scroll wheel it was like very yeah very retro um and um and so they they ended up acquiring touchco to build you know bring that expertise that we had in developing touch sensing technology into amazon to help them you know kind of build you know build a better user experience for the kindle well i'm assuming that was used in in the kindle voyage which is my favorite version of the kindle for whatever reason i buy kindles like people buy cell phones i every time there's a new one i get one and the the, the voyage was my favorite version of that um so i'm assuming that was you your technology in there somewhere yeah so um so actually um aaron zaraga who's my co-founder at, at my new company sensel at what we're, you know we're talking about today um and myself we um took some of that TouchCo technology, and we invented a way to do a virtual page turn button um, on the Kindle Voyage, um, and that was called uh, the page press feature. Um, and the idea behind it was that we actually embedded force sensors under the glass of the display um, around the bezel, and we also added in a haptic um, actuator technology. Um, and by combining the force sensing and the haptics, we were able to basically virtually em emulate a physical button click so it felt like you're clicking a mechanical button but really um you were just pressing on a force sensor and then at the right force level a, a mechanic you know a 
haptic click was was actuated to simulate the feel of that button. Um, and this was really the first high volume consumer electronic device to that I know of that had this kind of technology. Um, it came out, you know, pr- prior to the Apple Watch was which was Apple's first product to have haptics, force and haptics. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was really exciting to, you know, to see some of the touch code technology that we had developed, um, you know, shipping in high volume and tens of millions of units. So, um, that was, that was a pretty awesome experience. Well, let's, let's not dilly dally <laughs> any, any further. So, uh, Sensel, I think was founded, uh, in 2013. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And so I'm assuming the idea was to continue along these lines and and take it to the, to the next generation stuff. So um, instead of having you, you know, recall all of the steps to where we are today, um, take me to the present day to to what Sensel is doing now to the smart surface and and just generally this this next generation of touch that that Sensel is bringing into the world right now. Yeah. So. Really, what we're um, trying to do is make um, you know integrate touch sensing, force sensing, and haptics. Um, integrate that all together and make that available as a um, you know kind of a, in a packaged form um, to uh, to major OEMs um, in the PC and mobile industries and 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 other industries as well. And really, what we've really focused on at Sensel is this concept of smart surface where we're really combining these these technologies to make a very um, seamless, very rich experience for the user. Um, and it actually turns out that, um, you know, combining touch force and haptics, having the best in class user experience in all three of those and um, doing it in a cost effective, you know, uh, an efficient way, uh, power efficient and um, you know, thin. Uh, it's it's a, actually a very complex problem to to combine those technologies. And most companies that have been around um, and that are in the industry that do touch sensing, force sensing, or haptics, they really have expertise in only one of those areas. And where we've really found our niche and where we've had a lot of success is is in that we understand all three of these uh, technologies. We have deep experience and intellectual property in all three of these technologies, and we can deliver a full solution to the customer um, so they don't have to worry about and try to figure out how to you know, source three different components, how to combine them, how to write all the firmware and the software and build out the user experiences. Um, we do all that for them um, in a very uh, you know, high performance and cost-effective way. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. 
A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features features help you say the right thing at the right time every time plus you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to constant contacts best in class 97% deliverability rate i use this and you should too tackle any challenge with constant contacts expert live customer support plus everything's backed by their 30 day money back guarantee so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. So one way maybe, um, you know, normal folks would understand this is, you know, it's, let's, let's think of laptops right now. Um, so like if people are old enough to remember, like, you know, 20 years ago, you on a laptop, you'd have a, a touchpad plus physical buttons and then, you know, starting about 10 years ago, it switches to click pads where you get rid of the physical buttons. Um, and so this is moving from just having touch to then, you know, having feet, haptic feedbacks and things like that. And, and so explain to me what this next generation is. Like, obviously, we're there, no physical buttons. That's ancient history. But um, like, what, what can I do with a, uh, uh, if I have a sensor device in my laptop in the near future, what can I do with it that I can't do right now um, with a touchpad on my laptop? Um, so there's kind of a spectrum of advantages that you get um, when you start to integrate sensor technology um, um, and you know haptic force sensing in general. And the first kind of you know, if you start um, kind of more at the hardware side and the industrial design side, um, which is usually the first thing that the customer, like our customers, which are, you know, in the laptop and mobile um, OEMs that they care about, um, the, 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 those first things are usually around the industrial design. So it's how big of a touchpad can I build? Um, and mechanical touchpad just does not scale. Um, if you try to make a big mechanical touchpad with a you know, a little click button underneath it, it just starts to fail mechanically um, as it gets bigger because of flatness tolerances and, and, and stiffness and, and all these kind of things. Um, so that's kind of the first thing is like, I can grow the touchpad bigger. Um, um, and, <clears throat> and then also, um, as the touchpad gets bigger, you need it to get thinner because if you just grow it in X and Y, but you keep the same Z height, um, the thickness um, as a traditional mechanical 
click pad, um, you start to really consume a lot of the volume um, that's internal to the device. Um, and so you have less space for a battery, you have less space for other you know, computing uh, things that are in the laptop. Um, so those are kind of like the, the higher level things that um, the customers often care about is like, how big can I make the touchpad? How thin can I make it? Um, uh, but then, um, you know, you go a level deeper and you really start to see there's a lot of user experience benefits. Um, and again, um, there's kind of a hierarchy of like, there's some very basic things that you get, um, things like you can do much better palm rejection. So as you have a bigger touchpad, you're more likely to rest your palm on it inadvertently. You might not even notice it, um, but you don't want your palm to click accidentally. Um, if you're, you know, you just have your hand on the keyboard of a touchpad, you know, you're, or you have your hand on the keyboard because you're typing, but part of your palm is touching the touchpad. You don't want to false click or false activate. Um, with a haptic force pad, um, we can in software determine, oh, that's a palm. We're going to ignore the, you know, the force or the location of that palm because um, we know that the user isn't purposely trying to press there. Um, and at the same time, if I have my other finger on the touchpad, you know, if I have my left hand on my touching with a palm, my right hand, I'm trying to click. I, I can at the same time see that that is an intentional touch and I can trigger a click for that finger. Um, um, and then, you know, just in general, being able to click anywhere on the surface with a consistent force, that that is a huge benefit because that allows you to be much faster, much more efficient, um, you know, have much less fatigue. Um, in so your there's, not, there's not like a, a hot zone on, on one of these. Everything exactly. is the hot zone, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Like on a traditional click pad, the bottom edge clicks, but as you go higher and higher, it gets harder and harder to click because the touchpad is essentially you know, acting as a lever. Um, and so we eliminate that. We can make a consistent click force everywhere. Um, and then, you know, going a little bit deeper, um, you can start to customize um, those effects. So you can have different, um, different forces um, for different types of clicks. Um, so, uh, for example, if I'm, you know, filling out a form and I go to click on a submit button, um, I might want to make that button have a little bit of higher activation force to to again to avoid like an accidental click um i might want to give you some feedback so if you click you know submit on a form but you've forgotten to fill out some fields um the touchpad can buzz um or and then if you've done everything correctly it can have a different kind of click field to tell you that you've um you know you you've submitted uh successfully um and and then so there's there, there's all sorts of dimensions to the feedback that you can get, but also as a user, I, I can go in into the software and I can tweak it to, to my own personal needs or, 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 or um, likes, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, you can customize the amount of force that it takes to, to press. Um, you know, if you've got a big hand and, <laughs> uh, you, you know, large fingers, you might want to customize the palm rejection to be less, less strict um, and you might want to have a higher click force. If you've got, you know, smaller fingers and you press lighter, you might want to customize it the other way. People have very different preferences in terms of the amount of feedback they like for the click. Some people like a really strong click. Some people like it lighter. Well, so, and, and why this might be important is, am I right in assuming that you're talking about making a larger touch area on, say, a laptop? Could I, like, basically make the entire bottom part of the laptop 
be functionally the click zone. And so then there's different areas where I can do different things. And that's when you're talking about the palm rejection and stuff like that. Definitely. And that's, you know, that's kind of our longer term vision is that these surfaces will start to get larger. Um, they start, they'll start to get, um, so they will start to take over the whole palm rest area of the laptop. And we already have um, programs where we're developing, um, you know, user experiences like that. Um, and yeah, so you can start to have, you know, not just um, a touch surface that's for, you know, controlling a mouse, but as these surfaces get larger, you can imagine being able to write or sketch or do signatures on, on that surface. Um, you can start to imagine multi-hand um, control where you're using both hands in a game or in an artistic um, use case, you know, using maybe you're using your left hand to position a piece of virtual paper and your right hand to sketch. Um, and then longer term beyond that, um, you know, there's no reason that that we should really have mechanical click pads forever. Like, like if you imagine the future, you, you, it's hard to imagine that we're still going to have these mechanical keys. And um, where we are going with our technology is eventually being able to replace that mechanical keyboard, but have a user experience that is at least as good, if not better, um, than you had on your mechanical uh, keyboard. Um, and some of the things we imagine being able to do um, at a very basic level is like you can reconfigure that keyboard. So um, you can change the language, you can change the layout, you can change, you know, it doesn't have to be a keyboard for typing, you know, words and letters. It can be a piano keyboard or a DJ controller. Um, and we've actually explored a lot of these concepts in some of our early products. Um, but making that more ubiquitous, um, you know, where every laptop can be this kind of very versatile, morphable, creative control surface. Um, and then there's, you know, there's, then there's more mundane things like being able to do better autocorrect, um, learning from the patterns of how the user types, um, um, and even, you know, having a keyboard that conforms to your hands versus being, having to conform to the shape of a keyboard. Um, all of those things um, become possible when that surface, um, you know, goes from being a mechanical um, fixed thing to being a virtual software controlled thing. Right, because essentially it, it becomes programmable. Um, and by the way, I'd encourage people, if you want to Google some of Sensel's, you know, products, they, they, they've already created some hardware tools for musicians and the like for, for these sorts of things where... But is what you're saying, you know, sort of this sci-fi, you know, Star Trek, the next generation dream of having, you know, a surface that you can type on, which right now people, you know, rightfully so don't like, cause it feels like I'm typing on a piece of glass, but are, are you saying that ultimately the dream is in this area of what you can do for me to be able to type on a virtual keyboard and be able to do it without looking at it because the feedback is so accurate and so good that it'll, it'll feel or at least be similar to using um, a mechanical keyboard? Exactly. And what we can do today um, uh, with the technology we've developed already is we can simulate the force sensitivity of the keyboard so we know exactly how hard you're pressing with every finger. Um, and we can provide a very realistic click. So when you press on it, it really feels like you're pressing down and hitting a key. Um, the holy grail and the part that we haven't solved yet, but we want to solve in, in the near future, is how do how do you, you know, being able to feel the keyboard. So you know, you can close your eyes and move your hands around the keyboard, 
You can feel the little knob knobs under the F and J keys. Um, and you can really type with, with your eyes closed on a mechanical keyboard today. How can we replicate that um, virtually? Um, and uh, that's, you know, where I want to take the company in the future is uh, being able to do that kind of user experience. And we do think it's totally within the realm of possibility, um, but it's a very hard problem because, um, you know, you need to stimulate the receptors in, in, the, in the human finger um, to give you that, that tactile feedback. Um, um, but, but that's certainly um, where we see these interfaces going. Um, and like you said, it's really that, that, that the vision is like the Star Trek, you know, the next generation interface where, um, you know, wherever you go on the spaceship, whatever, whatever thing you're doing, you're always using these, these surfaces, right? And, and they may be different, um, you know, whether you're the pilot or you're the engineer or the communications officer, you might have a different, different interface, but the underlying technology is, is all the same technology and extremely versatile and extremely, um, you know, um, you know, high bandwidth uh, kind of uh, control. So, um, so you can have that really seamless um, uh, interface for whatever you're doing. Right. The, the, the idea being like, you know, forget how your car maybe could be programmed for different drivers. Like someday you could sit in front of a compute device and it, it would, you know, automatically configure itself for, for your needs or, you know, um, so yeah. put, put a pin and put in pin in that. Cause I want to come back to that at the end and talk about, you know, VR metaverse stuff, which I can see this would <laughs> maybe come to, but um, so right now today, um, primarily um, Sensil is putting these modules into into things like laptops because uh, I believe like Windows 11 has haptic force pad support and things like that. So these are increasingly coming into machines produced by OEMs. Like what uh, I can already see or I can already buy some laptops that have Sensil inside them, correct? Um, yeah, that's right. So our first um, our first product was a product we shipped ourselves. It was called the Sensil Morph. Um, and we, we actually funded that through a Kickstarter in 2015, um, shipped and, and have start and started shipping it in 2017. And then early in early last year, uh, in, uh, January in 21, um, our second product was announced and that is a haptic, uh, touchpad that was embedded into Lenovo's, uh, top of the line titanium product. Um, and that was really the first time you saw a haptic force pad outside of a MacBook, um, um, you know, in the PC world, that that was a really high performance, really great user experience. Um, and then our second uh, product in the market was a technology, um, you know, we uh, actually uh, worked with Microsoft on. So the Microsoft Surface Laptop Studio uses some of our technology uh, for their haptic force pad. Um, we didn't develop that force pad, but we kind of work with Microsoft and, and help them to integrate um, some of our technology to give them really awesome haptics. Um, and what we're working on now is really making those technologies ubiquitous, uh, bringing down the cost, um, scaling up the production capability, and, and bringing those to a lot more uh, computers in the near future. Um, and like you mentioned, uh, Microsoft did add uh, support, uh, software support in the OS for haptics, and that's really uh, been uh, very beneficial for us toward, you know, in terms of accelerating the adoption um, in the PC ecosystem as well. 
Well, I, speaking of adoption, I mean, I, I, when we spoke before, I think that you had mentioned that if you, if you think of this as like um, generational change in the technology, that when this last happened, when, um, you know, generally laptops switched to click pads, like it happened really quickly, like in a matter of four or five years, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, once the first click pad came out, um, it was very rapid. And, you know, people thought it would, you know, th there's a lot of people that were like, I love my buttons. I never want to get rid of my physical buttons on my touchpad or my click pad. And, uh, and then, you know, kind of overnight, that kind of design just became outdated. And you really don't see, you know, any laptops on the market with mechanical click pads anymore, you know outside of a few like ruggedized laptops that the military uses um that's just disappeared um and so i think there's going to be a similar you know really rapid transition that's going to happen towards haptic force pads because you know nobody wants to be you know uh you know nobody wants to ship an outdated design that uh um you know um you know in the in the in the uh, consumer electronics world um, there's, there's kind of these trends, right. Um, and I think, um, there, there's definitely a trend towards, you know, more simple, more elegant designs, you know, getting rid of mechanical buttons, getting rid of ports, um, um, and creating these, you know, really beautiful, seamless, um, user experiences. So these are, these are the years of the force pad coming to you. your next laptop will uh, hopefully likely have force pad technology inside it. But we haven't even, you mentioned the rugged um, laptops. One of the things that we haven't talked about or mentioned in terms of what Sensil's technology is good for is um, you can use it wearing gloves. <laughs> you can use it um, in, uh, in wet environments, all sorts of stuff. So like that, that also speaks to ways that this technology can evolve beyond, you know, even just laptops or even smartphones. Definitely. Um, it's, it's one of the benefits of having richer sensing in general. Um, um, you know, in our, in our technology that we've developed, we have force sensing and the force sensing can function as a fallback to the capacitive touch, uh, because capacitive touch, um, you know, fails in cer certain circumstances. It's generally a great technology, but if you have, you know, moisture, if you're using gloves, um, you know, if you have electromagnetic interference, um, capac capacitive touch um, can have, you know, false touches or, or just not function properly. And so by adding richer uh, sensing modalities, um, you can you can make that capacitive touch sensor more robust. Um, so we have we do have technologies that are, um, you know, really, really good for situations where, you know, maybe it's in a medical environment and you need to make sure that, you know, oh. was that really intentional because you know, an intentional click could have some bad consequences. Um, so, um, and then we even have technologies that can work fully, you know, underwater, for example, or, you know, just in, in drenching rain and the sensor continues to function perfectly. Um, um, so that's some of the advantages that I think um, kind of in the longer tail of, of what we can do as a company um, that we can really benefit from. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts 
has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO five-pocket pants. The right sort of step-up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional-looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. So this is, you know, imagining, you know, this sort of technology on heavy duty hardware out on a construction site, or as you're saying, like in a, in a hospital where people need to use it while still wearing gloves and things like that. But, um, so if you combine that, this, you know, ability to use it in all sorts of settings that you couldn't use touch technology before, if you combine that with the fact that, you know, we can increase the size of it. It's not like a little, you know, post-it note size thing. You could, um, like, could we one day have the entire dashboard of a car essentially be uh, a smart surface that, again, which would solve problems because what people complain about with their Teslas is, is like, I, I need the knob. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm missing that ability to, to, to turn the air up and down by, by not even looking at it, right? Yeah, I mean, we can solve the two biggest problems of a touch sensor, you know, in a car, which is one is like, you don't know if you've pressed it because you don't have any feedback. Um, And the second is, you don't know where you are, because you're looking, you know, you're looking ahead at the road. So you don't know if you're, you know, you're on the volume control uh, button, or you're on the uh, temperature, (laughs) you know, or or you've slipped off because you hit a bump. Um, You know, we can bring back some of that tactility that we lost with um, with physical controls. Um, and in a car, it's interesting because you have a lot of these surfaces, you know, you have controls for the windows and doors, you have controls, you know, the, the main console, but you've also got steering wheels and palm rest. So there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of areas, a lot of opportunities for, for some of the, our technology that we've been developing to, um, enhance those experiences. So also, um, if you achieve your dream of, you know, having the, the real 3D feedback and stuff like that, then we are talking about solving the, the holy grail problem of the VR and the metaverse, where in future, you don't even have to look at it, but you can, you can get actual feedback and touch that might be tied to what you're doing in some sort of AR or VR environment. Yeah, definitely. And and I think one of the things I'm personally really, really excited about is, is um, the possibilities of AR, because um, once you have, you know, an AR, you know, really good AR display that you're wearing in the form of goggles um, or glasses, um, you know, any surface that you interact with can become this smart virtual surface. Um, but you're still going to need some way to sense the touch, to sense um, the force to provide feedback. Um, so we can start to imagine, you know, 
we have, you know, we have these larger touch surfaces that can be, you know, anywhere in your house, on your table, on your wall. Um, and then as soon as you, you, you approach them, um, you know, the AR display can overlay graphics onto those surfaces. Um, but you can still have that rich tactility and feedback. You don't have to just do gestures in the air. Um, you know, you can have something physical that you're interacting with, um, but that you've got, you know, visual representations also overlaid on top of. Um, so I think it's it's going to be a really exciting uh, space to explore. Um, you know, the display technology really hasn't been there up till now to, to make those experiences really great. Uh, but, um, you know, there's a lot of um, rumors out there and speculation that, that a lot of that had is being solved and that we're going to see some really great products, um, um, are, you know, around some of those display technologies coming out. And uh, we're really excited about, you know, being able to help augment those experiences with some of our uh, touch force and haptics technology. Well, I think we can um, uh, announce or confirm, obviously, with by doing this episode that um, Ride Home Fund um, was an investor in uh, your Series B. Um, so uh, next couple years, next 18 months or so, going to be exciting times for Sensel? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, we um, um, uh, closed the first uh, half of our Series B um, earlier, uh, or I guess at the end of 21. Um, and I can announce we closed uh, nine million. Um, I was led by uh, 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 Taiwanese CM called Global Lighting Technologies that actually specializes in a lot of uh, really cool lighting technology that's very complementary to what we do with our touch touch sensing and haptics technology. Um, and uh, we we're really excited, uh, you know, to have Ride Home uh, Fund be a part of that round. Um, and we are also. Um, uh, looking to close another $9 million in the near future, and that's uh, well underway. Um, and um, yeah, we're going to take take that funding to um, accelerate, um, you know, the, the development of our technologies and the, uh, the scale-up of production. Um, um, so um, I, I think uh, in the very near future, you're going to see a lot of, a lot more of Sunsail technology and a lot more of um, the products that you use every day. Um, and really, the goal um, is to is for someday this technology to become um, ubiquitous and kind of um, you know in a lot of in a lot of places where you're going to be interacting with um, uh, with uh, electronic devices. Well, and the idea uh, behind doing this the way we're doing it is that um, all of the ride home audience uh, hopefully can become excited about this technology too. And to that end, um, if people want to find out more. Uh, can uh, should people start asking for make sure there's sensible inside when they buy a laptop? Um, do you have any asks for the audience in terms of just generally uh, tell us how how we can um, how we can continue to be fans of Sensel, uh going forward? Um, yeah, I think I think the best way is just to um, you know just to pay attention to the kind of the interaction technology that you're using in your in your devices, um, when you're, you know, when you're buying a laptop, uh, check out what kind of touch sensor, you know, is it using, is there, you know, is there, is there haptic feedback? Is there force feedback? Um, and, um, you know, kind of tell, tell your friends about it. Um, you know, a lot of people, it's funny, like a lot of people that use, um, Apple products get used to a certain user experience and they're shocked 
when they go and try other products, like they try a PC and they're like, oh, wow, this touchpad is terrible. But people don't realize why that is. They, they don't realize that, you know, Apple's invested probably hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, to develop the, that, that, that touchpad or that keyboard or the touch sensor on their iPhone. There's a lot of really cool technology that goes into that. Um, and, um, and, um, you know, but there's no reason that it should be limited to the products of one company. We need to, you know, start to bring these better user experiences to, to other, uh, products, other technologies in our lives. Um, and that's what Sensol is doing. So I think, yeah, just be more aware of, uh, your, uh, your, your interactions with technology. I think be, be more, uh, uh, discerning, I guess, um, and demanding of, of products that you buy that they do, um, you know, invest in making these interactions better because, um, I mean, these, these technologies are, you know, we're using them day in and day out. And especially, you know, with what we've had over the last few years with the pandemic, I mean, we're, you know, doing work remotely, we're, we're uh, studying remotely, um, we're using our computers all day. Like, why shouldn't we have better um, you know, better interaction technologies for these things that we're doing, um, doing all day. Um, you know, these technologies should be, um, they should really be optimized for the person rather than the person having to, you know, train themselves and fit themselves into a, a mold or a box uh, of how they use their technology. And that's what we're um, trying to do at Sensel. No more conforming to the hardware. The hardware <laughs> conforms to you. Yes. Um, Listen, anybody out there listening, if this is interesting to you and exciting, get in touch with me and I will pass you along to Sensel. Um, but Ilya, thank you so much for being the first to come on and uh, tell us about your company and very exciting times ahead and, and happy 2022. <laughs> thank you, Brian. It's been uh, really fun uh, talking to you. Thank you for the, the opportunity and for the investment and uh, and uh, happy 2022 to you and, and all your uh, listeners as well. 